Welcome to week number two in our series that we're calling uh, How to Beat the Odds. And I have called in a ringer for this particular message, my wife Susie, who's going to help me out. Last week we talked about, uh, I I shared with you about marriage from Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to go a little bit deeper next week. We're going to be talking about how to beat the odds in parenting. And then also how to beat the odds in friendship and as a church family as well. But uh, during our time together, we want to talk about really the number one thing that I would say Uh, based on almost 27 years now of pastoring is the number one reason why marriages fail. And that is there's a difference between what the Bible says, what God says marriage is all about. And he uses the word, it's a covenant and, and how many marriages are actually a contract instead, contractual marriage. So Susie, would you just share the difference, what those definitions are of a contract and a covenant marriage? A contract or in a contract, we protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. Responsibilities. We protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. And so watch the difference between this is what most marriages are, even to Christians. Christian marriage, they, they really protect their rights and limit responsibilities. That's not the biblical way of marriage. What is a covenant marriage? A covenant marriage is we give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. So it's really the exact opposite. We give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. That's why we're calling this message, Give Up and Pick Up, because it's about covenant marriage. And that's what we're going to look at during our time together. And so I just encourage you to go ahead and take out your Valley Christian Church app and follow along. I think you want to fill in the blanks and look back on these notes uh, later on. Uh, Also, let me just say this, as we work our way through our time together today, don't think about as you're taking notes, don't listen for someone else. Like, boy, I wish my spouse could hear this. Uh, You know, I wish my kids could hear this, you know, that are grown or something like that. Really hear it for yourself. Take it personally. That's how it's really going to make the most uh, of our time together. And also, if you're single, I encourage you not to kind of dial out because this has real implications because covenant is the language of God. It's It's all throughout the Bible. It's the thing that God responds to as covenant. And it all starts with our covenant relationship as an individual with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. So uh, if you're single and it's in your heart to be married or maybe, uh, no, no way, that's not going to happen for the rest of my lifetime, please listen in as well as we look at uh, the difference between a contract and really covenant marriage because I think it's going to have real practical implications. application uh, for you as well. And and so first of all, as we're talking about give up and pick up, uh, let's look at the rights that we give up, the rights that we give up when it comes to covenant marriage. What are those rights that we give up? Let's go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. This is where we find this whole idea of marriage and covenant. Watch what it says here. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. It says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place uh, with flesh. God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, and he made all the animals, but when it came time to make a woman, he didn't go back to the dust. What did he do? He took it out of Adam. Even when the woman was created, there was the shedding of blood. That's covenant. Blood is shed in covenant when a covenant is being made. And he took it from Adam's rib, and you've probably heard me say this before. He didn't take a bone from Adam's head because the woman wasn't to be over him and dominate him. He didn't take a bone from Adam's foot so that Adam was going to be over her and dominate her. 
He took a, a rib from Adam's side. Why? So that Eve would be alongside of him and he would be alongside of her. Partners in life together. It goes on and it says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And it goes on and says, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones. He said, this is, this is equal. We're, we're the same. You took, him out, took her out of me. This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And she should be called woman for she was taken out of man. God brought Eve to Adam and he goes, whoa, man. That's literally what it means. Like, whoa, like, whoo, like, yow. So anyway, and it goes on and it says, watch this now. Watch, watch this now. This is crazy. When we read the Bible, as I like to say, reading the Bible can mess you up as a Christian. It says, for this reason, listen, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. Did you realize what that says? The parent-child relationship is temporary. It's temporary. The husband-wife relationship is permanent and lifelong. We, we get this so topside down. That's why next week we're going to talk about parenting. For this reason, a man will say goodbye, mommy and daddy, and he'll throw away his Xbox, and he'll move out of the basement... And he'll act like an actual man, even though he's 35, shaven and all that stuff. He'll actually say, it's time for me to be a big boy. And he will be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. The parent and child relationship is a temporary one. But how many parents, you know, I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. You say, I love my child. There's nothing my child will ever do to make me stop loving them. But you, I got a long list for you. You do me wrong like this. You do me wrong like that. It's over. Totally conditional. It's not even love. We show unconditional love to our children, but not to our spouse. And we completely violate the second chapter of the Bible. By the way, this is the most quoted verse in the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, that we just read right there. The parent-child relationship is temporary. The husband-wife relationship, permanent and lifelong. And so, Susie, what are some of these... Uh, <laughs> What are some of the things that we have to give up in covenant? We're going to talk about three rights that we have to give up. And that first right is the right of priority. The right of priority. I give up the right to be number one. To look out for number one. I give that right up when I get married. I gave up that right and when I got married, I established a new priority. When I got married, Greg became my priority. First and foremost, over everybody, everything. He became that priority. You know, to have a covenant a marriage, it's being able to say to your spouse, I give you that right to have first place in my life. Second only to God, of course. But I give you that right to have first place in my life. And if you ever feel threatened by that, if you ever feel another person or another thing has come between that and you feel like you've lowered, you need to say something to me because I want you to feel like you have first priority in my life. You mean even kids? Even kids, yeah. yes. 
Yes, even kids. They have the ones tend to sneak up there really quick. So, um, you know, that verse we talked about talks about leaving your father and mother, which was the most dearest relationship up to that point where you get married, and then you're united to this, uh, to your spouse. And I think the truth is, you know, as couples, we have to just learn to say no to different people and to different things that will come up and want to take priority in our life over our spouse, and we need to guard that. Um, and, you know, it's not a new concept. We have that same concept with our Heavenly Father. You know, in order to have a relationship with God that really works, he has to be number one in your life. He's not about, you know, taking any other place or just kind of being on the list or just kind of being a Sunday God for you. He's not happy with that. He says things like, you should have no other gods before me. He wants that first place in that covenant relationship with you and with him. And so it's not a new concept, the idea of having first priority. We have to learn to do it with our Heavenly Father. And for Mary, we learn to do that with our spouse, having them in that first slot of priority. And Matthew 6.33, he talks about how he wants to be that first place. And he says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, Jesus asked that we put him first. And how does he ask that, or why can he ask that? Because Jesus put you first, first. He modeled that for us by going to the cross for us. And so we need to learn to put him first and then our spouse. You know, but when it comes to marriage, I think a lot of us say, sure, my spouse is my number one priority. We say that, but what does it look like in our actual life? And I think if we're really honest, you know, the truth is we give, a, we give really our best to our jobs and we come home and we're grouchy to our spouse. Or we give our best to our kids and we snap at our spouse, you know. Or we give our, the best to our hobbies or other things that have kind of gotten up on that top of that list. And our spouse just kind of starts going down in the list of priorities in our life. Um, you know, when we first got, first had our first daughter, we were pregnant with Michaela. And Honestly, we were feel a little nervous about having kids, you know, because we had no problem keeping each other first in our lives. And now we're about to introduce a child. And, you know, we, I remember taking a parenting class that really challenged us about not having a child-centered home, you know, that, that we'd welcome into our relationship. And we did things to make sure that this relationship stayed intact, even when the kids came and things like a date night that we'd have together or a 7 o'clock bedtime so that we would have the evening so that it would just be him and I. You know, different things as the kids were growing up that we did that we had to be intentional about to keep the marriage priority so that we would feel like we were a priority in each other's life. Um, and it's something you really have to be intentional to make that spouse feel like they're number one. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we even hear, and we'll get into it a little bit more next week, but uh, so I, Susie and I have three daughters and, and I hear this sometimes dad's taking their daughters out on a date and that's so sweet and all, but dads, let me tell you something. If you're not dating your wife, don't ever take your daughter out on a date. Because you're giving your daughter something that rightfully belongs to your wife first. And you want to mess your daughter up? Date her and not your wife. It, it completely will warp her mindset and her mind, mentality. Because this is first. It's okay if you're taking your wife out regularly on a date. But don't date your daughter and not your wife. Because she's the first priority. So really, really important. I remember we'd go out when our kids were really young and they'd be like crying, why are you leaving? Why are you leaving? And I said, we're going out. Mommy and I are going out. And you know why? We're leaving you here by yourself with babysitter? Because we love you so much, we're not taking you with us. Because mommy and daddy need time, just the two of them, without you. And now 
Our kids, like, they're, they're all the time telling their, their friends and everything. My mom and dad, hashtag goals. I mean, goal, relationship goals, you know, all, all the time like that. They're like, you'll never know. Dad can't keep his hands off mom and mom just, you know, all, all this stuff. Uh, so anyway. <laughs> but, but I encourage you, mom and dad, be inappropriate in front of your kids. Be inappropriate in front of your kids. Kiss in front of your, I mean kiss, kiss. Because you know what? It embarrasses them, our girls screaming all, but it also gives them a feeling of security. I grew up in a family like that. I never once, the thought entered my mind, does my father love my mother? Does my mother love my father? It never one time entered my mind because I saw it on a regular basis. Mom and dad are crazy about each other. So, so the first thing we give is that we give up our priority. The second thing that we give up is ownership. We give up ownership in covenant. I give up the right to, uh, uh, to have it all to myself. When I get married, covenant marriage means that I co-own and even we co-administrate our life together. So, so we give up ownership quite literally. Everything goes from mine to ours. Everything. Everything. Everything goes from that's mine to that's ours. There's nothing that I have that is just Greg's. It's ours together. There's nothing that Susie had that's just hers. It's ours together. In fact, be real brutally honest, let's look at what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, the wife's body does not belong to her husband alone, but also to her husband. And the men are like, that's why I brought my wife tonight. See that right there? You see what that says? Even a physical body doesn't belong to us anymore. It goes on and says, in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to the wife. That, that, that means, in a real sense, my body doesn't belong to me. The, the Bible also says that, that you're, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. Do you know whose body Greg's body belongs to? Not me. It belongs to Jesus. He bought it with a price, and it belongs to my wife because I broke it and I made a covenant with her. I cut a covenant with her. It does not belong to me, and vice versa. And you may be wondering, well, is that being taken out of context? Uh, no, just read the rest of it. I won't read any more because this is PG-13. But that's literally talking about what you think it's talking about there. The act of marriage, sex in marriage. And it's talking about the, the difficult and the temptation that we open the door for in marriage when we deprive that from one another for any extended period of time. We set our spouse into temptation. We send them out the door into temptation. And so we give up ownership. The secret to this principle is not that you demand from your spouse, but it's what you're giving away. This verse, nowhere does it say, hey, you got to give me. That's claiming your rights again. That's not what this verse is talking about. What's it talking about? It's what you give away. It's what you give, not what you claim. Covenant is what you give. And so this is never a verse to say, that belongs to me. That's, that's not what this verse is talking about at all. Only we give away our ownership to say, everything, when we give it away, everything that I have is yours. I'm not withholding anything from you. I, I, I give up my right for ownership. I, I don't make that demand. I only give it to you. I give it to you because I have a covenant with you. 
And, and just real practically, uh, we're, we're not real fans, and I think biblically I can show it, of, of having separate checkbooks, checking accounts. I think that violates two becoming one. Everything that I have is her. Everything she has is mine. I'm not squirreling something away for myself. It's all together. In fact, we had a, a, a real interesting little uh, example, yeah, uh, that, that happened. You want to share that? Yes. Um, I have an Uncle Fritz. My mother's German, and so she has some family members, uh, brothers and sisters who are still alive over in Germany. And back in August, and then again in, in December, um, Mom reached out to us, and she's like, oh, yeah, Uncle Fritz, he's getting up there in age, and he cashed out some reti retirement policies and different things like that. He has enough to be buried, and he just wants his nieces, because he was never able to have children, just wants his nieces and my other cousin in Germany to, to have some of his money. Um, and so within the span of like four months, you know, we got a nice little check for my mom coming from, you know, wired up from Uncle Fritz, you know, five figures. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, and but see, Greg I and love I, Uncle Fritz. <laughs> I love Uncle but Fritz. But for Greg and I, we have practiced, you know, just ownership together, you know, dual ownership. It's, it's, um, you know, we hold all things in a common co-ownership. And so, you know, never once the thought crossed my mind, I'm taking this money, me and the girls are going down to Cancun, getting a new wardrobe. I don't even think like that. You know, to me, it's like, it's money that's coming into our home and how are we going to use this money, you know? And so we talked about what we wanted to do. We needed to upgrade some furniture that was looking a little, you know, haggard and, you know, um, and then we also talked about, we both are, this year, I've already turned 50, Greg is getting there in November. We weren't gonna go in. That's okay, that. it's all right. But we thought, you know what, for our 50th birthday, let's use some of this money and go see Uncle Fritz and actually go visit him in Germany. And so it's something that we thought of together, that we wanted to use this money together. You know, but my point is even, not just our, your income that comes in, but you know, bonuses or inheritance, it, it's all one pot, it's, it's co-ownership together. It's not I have my things and he has his. That covenant marriage is we hold all things in common together. It's important not to communicate a mine and ours mm -hmm. mindset because that's an exit plan from marriage. Mm -hmm. I've got my <laughs> stuff, you got your stuff, and we have some comments. Yeah. That's, that's developing an exit plan for marriage. The, the key to marriage is the two will become one. Not, not his and hers and ours. One. And so that's one of the things about covenant marriage is that we give up ownership. Uh, what's the third thing there? The third thing we give up is our right to privacy. Our right to privacy. Um, in other words, I give you free and unhindered access to every area of my life. There's no secret side of me. I don't have a secret, you know, I don't keep secrets from you as my spouse. It's free, unhindered access. There's nothing, there's nothing hidden. You know, and I think human nature is our tendency, you know, when we've done something that we're ashamed of, we hide. You know, Adam and Eve, fig tree, I mean, fig leaf, you know, the whole thing. We hide. That's our tendency. Um, but it's so important to realize, you know, that when you're married, God has given you a built-in accountability partner. You know, I couldn't help but think a couple weeks ago, I was getting my hair done, and lo and behold, at the salon, there having this awesome sale on hair care products. And ladies, you know, that stuff isn't cheap. And they were actually what I would normally buy for a little bottle. They were selling it by the liter. So something came over me and I just thought this was a way too good bargain to pass up. And the next thing I know, I have like a year supply in my car that I'm heading home with. And I'm getting home and I have groceries and I open the garage door and I'm like, snap, Greg is home. You know, it was my first thought. Like, I wasn't ready to be prepared for him to see my loot. It was 12 gallons of <laughs> no, shampoo. It was, it was, 12 
gallons. gallons. It was in liters, so we don't okay. quite understand how yeah, all that right. translates. Metric. So, it's so different. Yeah so, yeah. so anyway, but I, but I remember bringing the groceries in. He was up in the bonus room, and I thought, the thought crossed my mind. Maybe I should leave these liters of shampoos and conditioners in the back of the car and bring it up later, because I have to put it into the linen closet, which he could see these things being brought up, you know. So I, you know, got tired of bringing loads in. I started working on dinner, and then I just had that nudge inside, like, I will keep no secrets from my husband, much less liters of bottles out in the car. Um, and so he came down, and I went into the dining room, and I just looked, loaded them up. He was like, what is this? And we had a very humorous conversation, but it's that tendency to want to hide when we think maybe we did something we shouldn't have done. You know, I, and also it's because I use hotel shampoo. <laughs> so, so it's like when we go away, I get all those little samples, yes. you know, and, and literally I, I just finished the last bottle from our trip in July. So, true. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot for what's going on up there. So, uh, anyway, but no secrets. We no give secrets. up privacy. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, that my life is an open book, you know, and that means even if I get a private Facebook message from a high school friend that I know he'd be interested in knowing about that I got, that I would, that I would tell him. And we don't keep secrets from each other because those are things that the enemy can come in there and put a wedge between the two of you. So not having any kind of secrets, so you don't cover up anything that we openly share with confidence, you know, and, and in that we're allowed to be secure in our relationship knowing, you know, he's not hiding anything from me. She's not hiding anything from me. There's just that security that comes in the relationship. And covenant relationship says, I can share honestly with you, you know. And Jesus wants that kind of relationship from us too. I mean, it's that same covenant relationship we have with him. Jesus said in John 15, I no longer call you servants. I don't look at you as servants, he says, because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You know, Jesus, Jesus says, I'm telling you what's on my heart. We're close. I'm communicating what the Father's told me, and I'm telling you. You know, and as we spend time in opening our heart with Jesus and telling him what's going on in our lives, and we listen to him, speak things to our lives, you know, it's a way that we become secure in that relationship with God. Um, and so I think, you know, when it comes to talking about things about having a covenant marriage, um, you know, we need to give up our right not only to our priorities, you know, not us being a priority more, not our ownership, and, and our privacy as well. Those are the three rights that we have to, to give up. Yeah, so it's giving up, but then it's also taking up responsibility. So what are three responsibilities in a marriage covenant? Uh, and and uh, last week we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at the responsibilities that we pick up uh, in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to unpack this. Last week's message is still online. You can check that out. Uh, but, but it talks about some real responsibilities here. Uh, Ephesians 5.22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as, to, as you do to the Lord. Again, that word submit, don't get hung up on that. It means open your heart up to. That's literally what it means. Open your heart up. To, don't close your heart off to your husband. And I gave you the whole background of what was going on in Ephesus. And it was, it was creepy what was happening there in Ephesus. Worse than anything we see going on in our culture today. And this is what God is saying by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. He says, don't close your heart off to your husbands, uh, but submit to them as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now, all of a sudden, a responsibility saying... Husband, you're responsible, you're responsible for your wife like Christ is the church. Gulp, all the husbands said. And he's the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. It goes on and it says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their uh, husbands in everything. It goes on. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Here it is. And gave himself up for her. Sacrificed himself. Laid down his life for his wife. Jesus laid everything down for the church. His dreams, his five-year plan, all those things. His agenda, his personal goals, his bucket list, his man cave, his motorcycle, for the church. Laid it all down. And he gave himself up for her to make her, here's our responsibility, husbands, to make her holy. That means set apart for the purpose that God created for. Cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, goes on. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. One day I'll be presenting Susie to Jesus. And he's gonna say, what have you done with the gift I entrusted to you? What kind of husband have you been to this wife, this bride, this woman that I entrusted into your tender, loving care? It goes on and it says, in the same way husbands, in the exact same way that Jesus, that we just read, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself and he who does not love his wife does not love himself. He who can't stand his wife and hates his wife hates himself. Powerful, what's being talked about here, the responsibilities in marriage. And it goes on and says, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And it continues. For this reason, sound familiar? Here it is. It's another one time when it's quoted. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother parent, child, temporary, and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This becomes the priority relationship, husband, wife, of all human relationships. Husband and wife over everything else. He goes on and it says, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband, as I said in that message last week, and again, I encourage you to listen to it. I've never seen a wife who does not respect her husband when her husband is laying his life down for her, the way that Jesus Christ laid his life down for the church. I've seen many bitter wives, and they're bitter because the husband is just doing his own thing, and he's his own man, and he's not laying his life down for his wife. That's not the example. That's not the responsibilities that we take up when we're in a covenant marriage. And so there's three things that we pick up if you're in covenant marriage. The first is we're called to love unconditionally. To love unconditionally. In fact, I go as far as to say this. If there are conditions from God's point of view, biblically, if you have conditions on your love, it's actually not love. It's a contract. If there are conditions, that's not God's love. We're called to love unconditionally. It's easy to love someone when they love you back, but covenant love says, I love you no matter what you do. You can't keep me from loving you. 
I can't stop loving you. I've made up my mind. That's what covenant love says. There's just no way I love you unconditionally. Covenant love says, I assume the responsibility to love you according to the standard of Jesus's love for me. That's what God's called me to, not love you as you love me, but Jesus calls me to love my wife, love my spouse the way that Jesus loves me. And that is unconditionally. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verse eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's covenant love. When we were in a mess, when, when we were out of our mind, when we were just, just wrecking havoc, destroying ourselves, Jesus, when we rejected him, we didn't want anything to do with him. Jesus said, I love you and I'm dying for you. That's love. It's easy to love someone who loves you back. That's not covenant love. Covenant love is when the person is rejecting us and doing their own thing and really even hurting us. I'm still gonna love. See, I think when we really think about it, I mean, I'm a pastor, I've officiated, I don't know, 40, 50 weddings in my pastoral career. I think for many of us, we just forgot those promises we made. Or maybe we just didn't mean them. We said in our marriage vows, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, I will love and cherish you till death do us part. That's the vow we made, not just to our spouse, but I promise God, I was gonna love her like that. She promised God she was gonna love me like that. That there was only one thing that was ever gonna end my love for Susie, and that was her death or mine, and she can't kill me. That's not legal, that's not right. That death is the only thing that that will actually end it. That's the one condition that ends unconditional love, death, till we're parted by death. And I think instead we, we, we put all these other conditions that we don't like to talk about, right? I, I mean, think about it. What, what are some of those like? I've heard conditions like, well, as long as you meet my expectations. I'll love you. I love you. Totally contractual. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you give me proper respect, mm-hmm. I'll love you. If you'll love me the way I need to feel loved, then we're good. As long as you fulfill my needs, I'll love you. As long as you, if you don't provide for me the way that I hope to provide, we're done here. What are the conditions on your marriage right now? In fact, I've started doing this with, with couples when they come to me. I just said, okay, so is it just death? And they're like, just death, till death do us part. I'm like, all right. And I just create these wild scenarios. What about this? You still gonna love her if she does this to you behind your back? Uh, you're still gonna love him when you find out that's the reality of what he is as a man? Let's just write that in and let's say that in the marriage, in the wedding itself. Let's just say that out loud. I love you till death do us part unless you do this, unless you do that. All of that is contractual. As long as you treat me well. Covenant love says there's one thing, death. That's it. Till death do us part. 
Thank God that God treats us not by contract, he treats us by covenant. Thank God that God doesn't say, I've had it with you. Think about the stuff we even did this week. The things that you said, ah, I've had it with you. You're no longer my child. The things that you clicked on. The things that you looked at. The things that you thought in your mind. I don't want anything to do with you, Greg. No way. You're not loving me the way that I deserve as God. That's not the way he does any of us. When we blow it, when we sin, that's when we need covenant love the most. The absolute most. When we've made a wreck of things, that's when you need someone who you have a covenant with that says, I'm going to walk with you through this and I'm going to keep on loving you no matter what. That's how God loves you. That's how God loves me. And that's how he wants us to love our spouse. Just like that, not less than that. That, that, That's why when we're talking about this marriage, it's impossible apart from the power of God in our lives. That's why it all has to start with our relationship with God first. Because Jesus Christ is first in my life, I can be a better husband than I could ever be any other way. Because Jesus Christ is first in Susie's life, she, she's so much better off a wife. I, I don't even know if we'd be together as a couple today if Christ wasn't the center of each of our lives. That's what God is expecting of us. We, we don't have uh, conditional love. If, if we ever even think this, I love you unless... That's contractual. I love you just as long as you, that's contractual. That's not the teachings of scripture. And that's settling for something that is so far below God's best that he wants for each and every one of us. So I I know this is tough. And and I, I think to be married, it just takes faith, quite honestly. It takes faith in God. And let me say this, for anyone who's here and and you've suffered the the, the pain of a broken marriage, none of this is to like kick you when you're down. None of this is to to, to make you feel guilty for anything that you may have experienced. Don't, Don't hear that at all. But from this day forward, see, there's mercy, there's grace, there's forgiveness. We don't have to keep beating ourselves up. That's not God. That's not what God's saying to you right now. What God's saying to you right now is from this day forward, from this day forward, walk in the grace that I have for you and the mercy that I have and the power that I have through my covenant with you. Demonstrate covenant love to your spouse right now from this day forward. The second thing is this covenant love where our responsibility is to honor respectfully honor respectfully. We, we need to get respect back into our homes and back into our culture. There's like, we, we just don't respect anyone, anywhere, anytime. Someone cuts us off in traffic. You idiot! And Jesus says, I died for that idiot. I laid my life down for that idiot. That person's made in my image and is just as valuable to me as you are. But we need to honor 
one another and, and respect one another. Disrespect is so rampant in our, in our culture. I mean, think about it. And you know who's the most disrespected in our culture? Husbands. Fathers. Turn on any sitcom. The father and the husband is a bumbling idiot. And he goes to work and he's the smartest of the bumbling idiots of the men sitting there. Total disrespect. And I know where it comes from. It comes from just all kinds of abuse and, and all kinds of stuff where, that men have done. And, and I get that and I know that. But it still doesn't make disrespect ever right. Two wrongs don't make a right. And we need to just, just return back to the teachings of God's word to respect one another. And honor one another. Mm-hmm. Honor says, I will respect you because you are a creation that God made. That you're his creation and I respect you. To honor is to place a value on something. In Ephesians 5, the part that Greg had read, where it says, Husbands, love your eyes as Christ loved the church and gave himself for to make her holy. You know, Greg said that the idea of being set apart. You know, and I kind of think of like China. What do we do with fine China? You know, it, it gets washed differently. It gets put away differently. We display it differently. We treat it with honor. We treat it with honor. And in the same way, that's kind of you, like you treat your wife with honor. You treat her with respect. Um, set her apart as special uh, is the whole idea for me. I think the China, I get that. Um, but, you know, I think too... Um, Honor is just so important in our marriages. And we look at God's standard, you know, and the scripture will show there. Um, it says, for this is the way that the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Ladies, you want a beauty tip? Here it is. They were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him master. There's a lot going on in that verse about Abraham and Sarah. And for one thing, Abraham wasn't always a nice guy. I mean, twice he lied to say that Sarah was his, that wasn't his wife, it was his sister. He lied um, and put her in some pretty awkward situations because of that lie. You know, he was a liar, but Sarah decided not to call him what he was, but rather what he could be. And she actually praised him and called him Lord, called him master instead of liar. And honestly, I believe Sarah made Abraham into the person he ended up being, Mm -hmm. that she believed in him. And she refused to believe or refused to point out the junk in his life, but rather praised the things that she saw that he could be in life. Um, And I think, you know, she honored him even when he wasn't always honorable. And you see what he went on to be and his descendants. You know, it's a beautiful thing. That honor and respect goes both ways, yeah. uh, from not only wife to husband, but also husband to wife. Look at what the Bible says in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, husbands, in the same way, consider, uh, be considerate of as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. So a husband is to respect his wife. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That doesn't mean mentally or anything like that, what it means is this. Bottom line, sorry, I can bench press a whole lot more than Susie. It just means physical weakness. That's all that it has to do with uh, as a weaker partner. And here it is, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, guess what? God says, if you disrespect your wife, I won't listen to you when you pray. Wow. God's really serious about it. He says, Greg, you can pray, you can fast, you can can go hours every day. If you disrespect your wife, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. 
So, so that respect goes wife to husband. It also goes husband to wife, but it has nothing to do, me respecting my wife has nothing to do with how she treats me. That's contractual. It has to do with what God says. That's covenant. That's what I promised you. That's my vow that I have to keep. And so we've got to get back to this level of honor and respect. And so that means a husband's, there's no bullying. There's no place for bullying or dominating, or domineering in covenant marriage. Jesus doesn't do that to the church. And we're never to do that as, as men to our wives. Uh, it, it means you don't use brute strength to intimidate your family. That's not what Jesus did. God isn't even listening to people, starting with your wife, when you disrespect her. He's not listening to those prayers. And, and so this respect and honor, it really has to be for both the husband uh, and, and the wife. And what's the third thing that we pick the up? The third and the last thing that we need to pick up to have a covenant marriage is to submit mutually, to submit mutually. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another, one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, submission isn't something we demand of our wife, it's something that we give to our wife. Submission isn't something that we demand of our husband, it's something that we give our husband. Submission is a choice on behalf of the one who's giving it. It's not anything that you can demand because it's a heart thing on the one who's giving that submission. It's a yielding to someone else instead of having it you done your way. It's yielding to somebody else. And the difference between obedience and submission, obedience is I'll do it. You see your kids do that, I'll obey dad. I'll, whatever, dad, I'll do it. Submission is my heart's open. And, and, and not only will I do what you're asking, my attitude will be right. My heart's open to you as my wife submitting to one another. Her heart's open to me instead of closing it off. And so, and so that's what the, before it goes into the whole husband wife thing, and we talked about this last week, it says submit to one another. Why? Because they deserve it? Nope. Because she's perfect? Yes. No, but really, really, she's not. She's got one, two little tiny flaws that I've over, yeah, almost 30 decades of noticed. That's all, two flaws. Submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Because I respect Jesus, that's why I submit to her. Not because she's perfect. But because Susie respects Jesus and reverences him, that's why she submits. It's that mutual submission that the Bible makes so clear. That's what covenant marriage really is all about. Giving up our rights and taking up our responsibilities. And so during our time together, we've shown you kind of the secret of marriage. This is what covenant marriage is really all about. This is how we can beat the odds. This is how if you're in a marriage right now and it's, it's really rocky, it's amazing because the two are one. You don't even have to say anything to your spouse. You just allow God to change your heart inside and watch how that impacts and affects your spouse. Just by taking these things to heart with God's grace and God's power. But, but we're fooling ourselves if we think that we can do this on our own. It's impossible. That's why we need, first of all, to recognize the covenant that we have with God. That, that through Christ's sacrificial death, he substituted himself. He paid the price that you and I deserved to make a covenant, to make a way that we would be forgiven of our sins. And so how do, how do we acknowledge that covenant? You know what? It's pretty interesting. What do we do in response 
to make sure our relationship is right with God? Everything we talked about. The first thing that we do is we have to prioritize our relationship with God. Second thing we have to do is we have to give up ownership. Third thing, we, we give up privacy. God, I'm not gonna keep you out of certain areas of my life. I give you full access to everything in my life. And then we, we give Jesus that priority place in our lives. We give him everything, all of our lives in full surrender. And we make sure there's nothing hidden from Jesus Christ. That's how we come into that relationship. That's how we make sure we respond in covenant to him the way he reached out in covenant to us. We respond to Jesus' unconditional love by unconditionally loving him back no matter what. Jesus, I'm never gonna turn my back on you. We respond by lifting up our hands in worship. Why, why do you do that, Greg? Because that's what the Bible says God wants. It says lift up holy hands to the Lord. And what does holy hands mean? Not perfect, what does it mean? Hands that have been set apart to do God's will. That's what holy hands are. And that's why we lift up holy hands as we worship, because God said, that's what I want you to do as my children. And we respond to him in that way. And we submit everything that we have to him. God, my life is yours. Everything that I have, everything that I am, it all belongs to you. And that's when the power of God comes into our lives. As we put him first, just like we talked about. And then we can live this unconditional love with our spouse. And so right now I want to pray. And I want to pray that, that during this time that we'll just take to heart the things that we've heard, God's word. And we'll allow God's word to redefine our relationships. That they would truly become the marriages, the relationships he wants us to have as we begin to live out, not contractual relationships, but covenant relationships, covenant marriage, covenant love. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize that if we've done anything less than loving you back unconditionally, that, that we really don't have a relationship with you. We're just practicing some stale religion. But that you sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life and to lay his life down and pay the price for our personal sins. And he was resurrected from the dead, not for some sort of religious rituals, but for a relationship relationship of covenant love that you desire to have with each and every one of us. And so Father, I pray right now for, for every husband, every wife in the hearing of my voice, Lord, that, that hope and faith would rise in our hearts of knowing that, that we can do this with the power of Jesus Christ and we can love our spouse unconditionally as you have loved us unconditionally. Father, I pray that right now your grace would just pour into all those cracks and all that pain and all that hurt that, that can be accumulated over the years of, of living life with a spouse in a relationship like marriage. And that, Lord, we would reach out for your grace to live from this day forward by the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. 
And right now with every head bowed and eyes closed, I just wanna give the opportunity for, for every single person. If, if you've never prayed the prayer to just receive Jesus Christ as your savior, to really acknowledge that covenant love that he has for you, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now, not to embarrass you. But the fact about the matter is that he came and he laid down his life because having your heart was worth the pain that he felt and what he went through. That's how much he loves you. The Bible makes it clear that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so right now, I just wanna lead you in a prayer, a simple prayer, a prayer of faith as you trust your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. How about we all just pray together, just in joining uh, those who are praying for the first time. Just repeat after me, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for his life, death, and resurrection for me. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord. And I trust you, Jesus, with my life. Direct the rest of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church, located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you. 